This episode was created on traditional, unceded Coast Salish territories of the Songhees and Wasanich people. You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journey here at UVic. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon. I am your host for today, Max Monday, and with me in the studio, I have my guest, Kyle Omen. How are you doing today, Kyle? Doing well, thanks. That's good. So, Kyle, you are doing your PhD in astronomy, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay, for sure. And your research is based on dark matter and figuring out what that is. Yeah, that's exactly exactly right. Okay, for sure. So, let's start with the basics. For those who don't really know all that much, what is dark matter? Well, the whole point is that we don't know. So we know a few things. We know that there is a lot more mass in the universe than what we can sort of count up and see. So we look out, we see like stars and galaxies and interstellar gas and all these different kinds of things out there. And we can try and work out how much mass there is when you add all that up. And then we have other probes of how much mass there is in total. Mm-hmm. And so we look at something called the cosmic microwave background, for instance, and then that tells us how much mass there is in the entire universe. And we kind of compare the two and find that the total amount of mass is more than what we can see. There's there's some that we can't see, and so we call that dark matter. What exactly does the micro- microwave background? Yeah, yeah, what does that tell us? Yeah, okay, so the microwave background is, well, it's kind of what it sounds like. It's microwaves in the background. So microwaves, I mean, that's just a frequency of light, so it's the same frequency your microwave oven uses to cook food, but mm-hmm. those, are, those are just photons. And so there's, there's these microwave frequency photons coming from all over on the sky, and you can measure those, and in particular you measure... You know, how many of, so microwave frequencies are, are actually a range, some slightly lower and slightly higher ones. So you measure you know, all over the sky, all these microwave photons of slightly different frequencies, and you basically count up where they're all coming from, how many there are in each direction. And from that, and then some knowledge about like plasma physics and some theories about how the early universe looked. So you put that all together, and in the end, your, your early universe theory tells you how much mass there must have been to give you those photons now. Okay, interesting. So we are trying to find out. Um, we have the universe in front of us, and we're seeing where the frequencies come from. So we go from this is how big the universe is right now, and then this is how small we think the universe was at some point, and kind of like keep going back until we have you know the the ball that um, the universe was when it started the the Big Bang, if you will. Am mm-hmm. I getting this right? Um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty close. I can elaborate a little bit. Okay, for um, sure. So, yeah, right. The universe is expanding. This is something that's pretty well established. We know that just by looking at galaxies. The further away the galaxy, the faster it seems to be moving away from us, which mm-hmm. tells you that the whole thing must be growing. And then the the speed of that expansion is regulated by the amount of mass in the universe. So you, if you put more mass in the universe, that kind of like all that extra mass has extra gravitational force, and so it tries to slow down the expansion. Mm-hmm. And so... The rate of expansion and the expansion history of the universe tells you something about the content of the universe. Okay. And so, yeah, and the microwave background is one one measurement of that expansion history. Okay, for sure. So. And so the uh, we have the mass that was... So like the total mass of the universe. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And the, is dark matter uh, not a part of that or is that... The dark matter is a part of that. So, okay. yeah, that, that measurement from like the expansion history or the microwave background, that's like the whole thing, everything together. It doesn't tell you everything you might want to know about the different kinds, but it tells you the whole thing together, mm-hmm. um, right? And then you can use other probes to look at like 
count galaxies, for instance. I think I know roughly how massive a galaxy is, and then I count them all up, you know, maybe in some region, and then multiply by what I think the size of the universe is, and then I come up short. And so the difference between what I can see and the whole total that I calculated before tells me the missing or the stuff that I can't see is dark, and so we call it dark matter. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And um, this stuff, what we know about it, uh, you told me uh, in, uh, previously. You said that dark matter. What we know about it is that it's dark, and that <laughs> is heavy. Yeah. Do we know much else about dark matter? Um, so we think we know. I think maybe more than we have a right to. I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the the simplest idea of what dark matter is, it's some sort of particle. I'll say subatomic, but whatever. Some sort of small particle. Mm -hmm. Subatomic is maybe too specific. <laughs> <laughs> so it's some kind of small particle, we think, um, that has mass. And we're pretty sure that, well, so if it has mass, then it has to gravitate. Mm -hmm. So it exerts a gravitational force, and it feels a gravitational force. And then in the simplest scenario, that's that's it. That's all it does. Okay. Um, so if it did other things, so other interactions you could have are like, an electromagnetic interaction means you'll interact with light. So you might absorb a photon or emit a photon. And then so if you have some dark matter in front of something bright, like a distant galaxy, and you have light shining through that dark matter, if there's an electromagnetic interaction, you might expect to see something happen. Okay. Whereas we think if you have you know, a blob of dark matter and you shine a light through it, nothing's going to happen due to an electromagnetic interaction. Okay, for sure. I.e. Yeah. the darkness of dark matter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So dark here basically means the only interaction is gravity there's no other okay other interactions interesting so you said that the that this dark matter has a gravitational pull does it gravitate around something or does it like are there things that kind of like get sucked into it because it has a gravitational pull yeah so everything kind of orbits around everything once you get out into the universe you know yeah. in the solar system we're used to thinking of, okay there's like the sun in the middle and things orbit around the sun but that's not quite true actually like if you think of the earth and the sun right you say okay the earth orbits the sun not true the earth and the sun orbit their center of mass okay. and so they're both orbiting a point in empty space and they both go around it and because the sun is so much more massive it has a tiny orbit so it doesn't actually like go around on a circle it just kind of wobbles in place okay um but it's, it's technically orbiting this point and so you know to make this a little bit easier to get your head around if you replace earth and sun which are very lopsided you know the sun is very heavy the earth is not so heavy mm -hmm. if you took say two stars of the same mass and put them into an orbit they're just going to orbit around each other um Interesting. and they'll if you just sort of draw that they both go around a point in empty space between them okay um okay so that's kind of like how we have to think about orbits mm -hmm. right there's not always a central thing you can have a system that orbits an empty central point and is held together by all the gravitational force between all the components of the system okay so <laughs> then how we think dark matter is sort of distributed now is so very early on it would have had a very uniform distribution the universe would have been filled with dark matter and there would be about the same amount the same density everywhere in the entire universe almost and if i pick one particular region i might have just a tiny little bit more density than average or a tiny little bit less if i have a tiny little bit more than the average density then that region has slightly stronger gravitational attraction and so it's going to tend to collapse and draw in a little bit of the matter around it and then that's going to just kind of run away then you, so you get these regions that get denser and denser and denser because they're just the tiniest little bit of excess stuff in there at the beginning mm -hmm. and so you sort of fast forward a bunch and uh, what you get at the end is these collapsed blobs of dark matter all over the place and the overall structure it's actually 
quite beautiful. I mean, this is radio, so I can't show a picture. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of this filamentary network. So you've got these blobs, and they're connected by filaments between them. And there's also like sheets. Also, so it's it's this complex structure. I encourage anyone who's curious to go try and find a picture of this. Okay, for sure. When did you decide to start working on dark matter specifically? Mm, okay. Um, I guess at the start of my PhD program is when I really focused in on that. Mm -hmm. I'd also been working on dark matter simulations in my master's program, but I was interested in other things. So I was looking at clusters of galaxies and the formation of stars in these clusters of galaxies. And so I used kind of some of the same tools, but I wasn't interested in the same research questions. And I mean, so I've had a passing interest in this dark matter stuff for a while. You know, you hear it, it sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of actually, you know, intense research interest just for the past three years. Mm -hmm. Sweet. And why did you choose that over what you started with in your degree? I So I did my undergraduate and master's degrees at Waterloo. Mm -hmm. And so by the end of my master's, I'd been there for six years and started to feel like it was time to maybe move around in the world. Um and yeah, I mean, it's kind of a rule of thumb that you probably shouldn't do all your studies in one place. Um, just because you start, you know, if, if you go, if you're always with the same professor is teaching you, then at some point you kind of plateau in how fast you're learning. Whereas if you're exposed to new people with different ideas, then maybe you learn faster. Mm -hmm. Maybe, I don't know. That's fair. It sounds like a decent rule of thumb, right? So yeah, it's like, okay, time to leave. And yeah, and so it was, it was a little bit of chance i mean i knew i wanted to work on like cosmology and simulations this is kind of my background um, but the fact that i ended up in victoria and working specifically on this dark matter stuff was a little bit of luck you're um researching dark matter and what it is you let me know that a way to research dark matter like seeing what it does is by putting it into a computer simulation yeah, that's that's right. So I, I work on these simulations. So I guess before I get into it, like, I guess I should say what I'm trying to do in more detail with the simulations. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one aspect of this dark matter is, okay, so now I zoom into just a single galaxy system, and that's kind of the, the scale of the things that I study. So imagine one galaxy and the way we think galaxies happen. So a galaxy is a collection of stars and interstellar gas and dust and dark matter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of the definition, formal definition of a galaxy is that it lives in a blob of dark matter. Okay. And so picture your favorite galaxy. You know, you might have seen pictures of these nice spiral, um, spiral galaxies. So think of that. And that actually lives inside a cloud that is about 10 times bigger than that sort of spiral <laughs> thing of dark matter. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now the question I'm trying to address is what does that cloud of dark matter look like? Okay, so it's some sort of blob. We think there's more, like it's more centrally concentrated and then fluffier around the edges. So yeah. the density goes up and up as you get towards the middle. Interesting. So maybe um, like that's why like galaxies are kind of like stuck in there when it's like more dense. And yeah, so like the dentist region will also have the strongest gravitational pull. And that's kind of the idea. So this dark matter, we call it a halo. Mm -hmm don't know why but it's called a halo um so formed and then also pulled in some gas and then that gas can make stars and it all forms down in the middle where everything gets kind of pulled in by the, okay. the gravitational force okay and so now i'm interested in like the structure of that dark matter halo so how centrally concentrated is it you know how much mass is there in the middle compared to around the outskirts so things like this 
Okay. okay. And so then, you know, this would be really easy if dark matter wasn't dark. I'd just look and see what it looked like, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the name of the game is to pick something that I can see. So that's either stars. Okay, easy to see stars. They shine very brightly. You can also see gas out in the universe. Mm-hmm. It doesn't shine so brightly in optical wavelengths, but some gas has strong radio emission. So if mm-hmm. you point a radio telescope, you can see the gas in radio wavelengths. So pick some sort of thing that I can see, a tracer, and look at the motions of that tracer. And so based on the gravitational field that that tracer is moving in, it'll have different dynamics. And so the dynamics of the tracer tell me about the gravitational field, and the gravitational field comes from the mass distribution. And so basically I look at how things move to try and figure out where the mass is. Okay. Okay, now the link to the simulations. Mm-hmm. Out in the real universe, all I can do is look at the tracers and say, okay, I see how they move. Yeah. Um, and I can speculate about what that means, but it would be really great if I could have a system where I could look at the motions and then also look at the mass distribution and see how those are related in detail. So that's where the simulation comes in. Okay. So it's basically like we can't see dark matter because it's dark. We also can't see things moving around because in relation to like the way the time is playing out on the earth, we like can't really see that far ahead. Um, Well, so yeah, it's true that you can't, you know, if you watch a galaxy and just sit there for 10 years, you don't really see anything change. But we, what we can do is measure velocities. Okay. Um, so if I look at, I'll take a star, for example. Mm-hmm. So I just look at a star, and if I watch it, I won't really see it move. Yeah. But what I can do is measure a spectrum of that star. So break up the light coming from the star into its different frequencies, right? Like spread out the rainbow and measure, measure the intensity across all the different frequencies. Okay. And what I can learn from the spectrum is the speed of that star. So I don't see it move, but I can measure measure its speed. Mm-hmm. And this is this basically comes from the Doppler effect. So if you, you know, if you have an ambulance pass you and you're on the side of the road, you'll hear as it approaches you have a higher pitch, right? It's that like ooh, yeah, right? So that's the Doppler effect. And so if a, if something is approaching you, it shifts the frequency up. If it's receding, it shifts the frequency down. So mm-hmm. the same thing happens with light. So if you see some feature in the spectrum that is bluer so at higher frequencies than it should be that tells you it's approaching if you see it redder that tells you it's receding Mm -hmm. and so yeah we can we can actually observe at least part of the dynamics of the system so that's that's the observed part and where does this computer simulation play into that then if it's not um observing yeah so in the computer simulation the the cool thing is that i know the answer to where the dark matter is because it's just part of the simulation i can just like you know, read it off my hard drive. Mm-hmm. Where is the dark matter? Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, because in the simulation, I know everything. That's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. And then I can go pretend like I'm observing the simulation and say, okay, now I'll you know, restrict myself to only the things that I would know if I was doing observational astronomy. And so I can measure the dynamics like I would if I was using a radio telescope, for instance. Mm-hmm. So I can make that measurement and then I can do all the analysis that I would to try and reconstruct, basically guess what the dark matter distribution is based on the dynamics and compare that to what I know the real answer is. Okay. And so then I can say, okay, so if I devise some clever method to say, okay, I observed such and such dynamics, that tells me what the mass distribution is. I think I've got it figured out. Then I can test that method and see, do I get the right answer or did I get it wrong? Okay. And then once I'm confident that I can get it right, I go and look at a real galaxy, measure its dynamics, and then I tell you what the dark matter distribution of a real galaxy is, even though I can't see it. Uh, so basically, 
you kind of uh, observational uh, astronomy kind of plays off of this system where like it works together to see whether or not like this hypothesis is true yeah and so now once you once i think i can measure the dark matter distribution the question is what is it so there's the current like the standard theory of cosmology makes a prediction for what like how the dark matter should be distributed inside a galaxy mm -hmm. you know, how much in the middle how much around the edges and the prediction is actually pretty specific so if you could measure it and see whether it matched with the prediction that would tell you something about the theory if you get a good match it's like okay great this it's another check of the theory it checks out yeah. if it doesn't match it's like okay do we need a new theory or is it something else that we haven't thought of that like do we need to add to the theory or is it because other people have tried this whole game before is it that previous attempts to measure this have been wrong and now we have a new method that's better and now it's right so it's like these kinds of questions well, the, the big question is is this standard theory of cosmology right and so the the theory has a name well an acronym i guess it's called lambda cdm mm -hmm. and the lambda is about dark energy which maybe i shouldn't get into today okay. <laughs> it's a completely different thing yeah. dark matter dark energy nothing to do with each other okay but then the cdm is cold dark matter and mm -hmm. and so cold sounds like a temperature it's it's actually meant to be a dynamical temperature which is kind of related but not really okay um, so uh, if you stuck your finger in it it wouldn't feel cold but it basically the more the heavier you make the dark matter particle the colder the dynamics behave so okay. so this tells us this is like a hint to what the particle is so if, if this lambda cdm theory is right and dark matter is cold then that tells us that the particle that is dark matter is fairly massive mm -hmm. for a tiny little particle whereas if the dynamics look different such that you think that this is maybe a we call it warm dark matter um, so that that's hinting at a lighter particle mm -hmm. that is the dark matter and so this can inform particle physicists who have experiments that try and look for this particle and discover it and so you can say oh you should be looking for a more massive one or a less massive one and that changes the design of the experiments Are there any um, certain galaxies that you are looking at specifically in your research that are, I guess, notable or like uh, getting you to figure out? Yeah, more so I, I have a few favorites. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have the greatest names, but I do know them. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, a couple of my favorites, they're basically catalog numbers. So mm -hmm. uh, one of them is IC2574, another okay. one is IC1613, okay. and DDO50. Those are like my three favorites off okay. the top of my head. And why would that be? Why is it uh, fascinating uh, to look at those versus any others? Yeah, so these are kind of the weirdest ones. And usually the weird ones are the ones that are going to tell you the most because they're the ones that don't make sense. And that's that's where you're going to actually like learn something. Yeah. right? Because if you understand everything, then there's no learning. And so, for instance, uh, IC2574 seems to have way, way less mass in the central part of it than we'd expect. And it's the most extreme example of that. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, that, that's an interesting system. And then DDO50 is is interesting. Oh, I should mention, because it's, it's cool, DDO is for, I think, Dominion. The DO is Dominion Observatory. I don't remember what the other D is. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's the observatory here in Victoria. So these oh. are, this is actually a galaxy that was discovered, or cataloged anyways, yeah. um, here in Victoria, back when this was a world-class observatory. Cool. Uh, and so the weird thing about that galaxy is that, so we talked about regions where different 
components of the galaxy dominate the dynamics. And so basically, in the middle of a galaxy, usually what happens is that there are so many stars that it, it doesn't really matter what else is there. All of the motions of those stars are just controlled by the stars because they form the bulk of the mass in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then as you go further out, there's less stars and gas and proportionally more dark matter. And so the motions further out tend to be dictated by the dark matter because it's the dominant form of mass out there. The weird thing about this galaxy is like that it seems like if you sort of just look at it at face value, it seems to be saying that actually all the motions in the middle are dictated by the dark matter. And the further out you go, where there's not much other stuff, then the stars start to, and the gas start to dictate what's going on further out. Mm -hmm. And so it's really basically exactly backwards from most other galaxies. And so we think we have ideas for why that is. Okay. Um, so in that case, we think that, so one of the things you need to know before you do all this fancy dynamical modeling is um, how you're seeing this galaxy. So many galaxies are shaped like a disk, so these spiral ones, it's, it's like a flat plate shaped thing. And so one of the things you need to know is what angle you're seeing that so you could see it like edge on and then it would kind of look like a line so you mm -hmm. imagine i don't know if anybody uses cds anymore but you can like look at yeah. the edge of a cd and it kind of looks like a line or you can put it face on and so it looks like a circle mm -hmm. and if you tilt it then it kind of looks like an ellipse mm -hmm. um and so that's that's great it's not too difficult to figure out what that viewing angle is if it's a nice circular thing and many galaxies are circular ish but the trick is you don't necessarily know what the actual shape is, and then so it gets tricky to figure out what that viewing angle is. And so we think in this case, all that's happened is that that viewing angle has been basically estimated incorrectly, um, and that throws off basically everything. <laughs> okay, so um, your next task for that would be to figure out what exactly is the angle that we should be looking from? Yeah, and so we, we, like, we kind of think we know what it should be. The question is, so there's a lot of these weird galaxies. We kind of focus on the most extreme ones to try and learn what we can, but Ultimately, the goal is like, okay, we've got this whole group of like hundreds of galaxies and some of them look pretty normal and then some of them look a little bit weird and then some of them look really weird. And so the question is like, could you plausibly make similar mistakes often enough to explain all of the ones that are even just a little weird? Yeah. Um, so we're trying to get like kind of to grips with that. question about the um, the computer simulations mm -hmm. how are they made so this this is back to that microwave background thing again yeah. um, so the another use we have for this cosmic microwave background is it kind of gives us a snapshot of what the universe looked like very early on so we're talking only I think it's 380,000 years after the Big Bang or something mm -hmm. um, so that's that's relatively early in the in the history of the universe and the um, just because of how how everything was back then, um, certain aspects of the universe were very simple early on. So if you kind of know something about plasma physics and gravity, um, you kind of know everything about the universe once you have this snapshot up to a point. And and so we, we take that snapshot and then encode it into the computer. So basically, we you imagine a cube mm -hmm. in the computer, um, and we just we put down particles to represent different things. So we have like dark matter particles and gas particles. And we just put them down according to the snapshot yeah. and what we think it looked like. And then we put in all of the physics we think we need to worry about. Okay, so I need, I need to write some code that tells the computer how to deal with gravity. I need to write some code that tells it how to deal with plasma physics. I need to know, you know, when does gas turn into stars? Mm -hmm. uh, I need to know 
what do those stars do? Okay, they shine. That affects the gas. Uh, they some of them explode like supernova. Yeah. Okay, that has an effect. And so all this like lots and lots of physics gets encoded into the program. And so then I have like this initial snapshot and all the physics that I need to know. And then we just we call it time stepping. And so I say, okay, I know what it looked like at the start. I apply all my physics recipes to get what it looks like just a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And then I have a, okay, now I know what it looks like then. And so I can just do it again and step slowly forward in time yeah. until we get to like the present day. So a lot of astrophysics involve working with computer simulations then or like creating computer simulations? Yeah, so there's there's all kinds of different simulations. The the sort I work with are called cosmological simulations because mm-hmm. we're we're talking about cosmology. We're trying to represent large, sort of statistically representative chunks of the universe all in one go. But there's other kinds of simulations too. So other astrophysicists might simulate an individual galaxy because they're just interested in things contained within that little chunk of the universe, or even like individual stars. Um, some people do planetary simulations, so orbits of planets. And people who study the solar system try and figure out, based on simulations, you know, did the gas giant planets, you know, Uranus, Neptune, Jupiter, are they where they were when they were formed or have they moved around? There's all kinds of things you can do with simulations. Ideally, what do you hope to find out about dark matter during your research? <laughs> well, so the very big picture level would be to find out what this stuff is like find that particle yeah. um, like i'm not going to be the one to discover the particle that's not sort of where but you know i might help inform the search yeah um so it'd be neat to see that in my lifetime or maybe it's not a particle maybe we've got the whole thing completely wrong and it's something else but um yeah so that'd be nice and then sort of at a, a more like accessible to me level is basically to figure out this this link between the dynamics of the tracers that I talked about and, and the mass distribution where the dark matter is in the galaxy. So if I could really try and show that we've got that figured out and don't need to worry about it so much anymore, that'd be that'd be nice. Again, thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV 89.9. <laughs>